Well, thank you and good morning. Um, you know, working in the international side of our organization, um, I'm not always fully up to speed on what's happening domestically. But um, over the last few months, I keep hearing these rumors and rumblings of this church in St. Joe doing all kinds of crazy stuff locally um, for the, the people in their community, whether it be GoX ambassadors, whether it be purchasing a guest house, um, all kinds of crazy stuff for Jesus. So when uh, the opportunity was presented for someone to come up and speak about what we're doing in Haiti, I jumped at the opportunity uh, to meet you, to worship with you. So it's a real honor for me to be here. So thank you for having me this morning. It's, it's great. Um, it's also an honor for me to be able to come here and speak on behalf of kids in Haiti who are in our Pathways program, which is what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes um, so what is Pathways? Well, the best way to describe it, I think, is through a video that I brought with me. So if you guys would, just take a couple minutes, and, and we're going to show this video.
So what is Pathways? Pathways is a two-year trade and life skills development school that we've started in Haiti. Um, as you just heard in the video, in Haiti, it is required by law that on your 18th birthday, you have to leave the orphan care facility that you've been raised in. So for a lot of these kids who come into orphan care, they oftentimes do so coming from incredibly difficult backgrounds. Um, for many of them, they've received little to no uh, formal education of any kind. So you can imagine that the future looks pretty bleak for an 18-year-old in Haiti who's largely uneducated. So we started the Pathways School really to answer the question, what do we do with these kids when they grow up? They've got to reintegrate into society, uh, but they don't have job skills and they don't have um, education. So, so what do we do? So we started Pathways um, really uh, for, for two different reasons. Number one, um, on the one hand, we wanted to instill life skills into these kids, skills that they should have developed um, from learning from their, their parents, skills like how to budget your money every month, skills like how to cook, how to clean, how to go to the market, how to open a bank account, just basic life skills. So on one hand, we do that. And then on the other hand, we're teaching professional trade skills, skills that can help them either find employment or start their own businesses. So these are skills such as agriculture and chicken farming, uh, diesel mechanic classes, um, and sewing. And I want to talk today um, primarily about sewing. I could go on and on about every aspect of, of Pathways, but today we're just going to talk about the sewing trade, which was really birthed out of two needs that our ministry have. Um, the two needs are, on the one hand, uh, we sponsor and work with 12 churches in Haiti that are doing orphan care which equates to about a 1,000 kids in full-time orphan care. And the majority of these churches also run schools as a ministry to the local community because school isn't free in Haiti. You have to pay to go to school. So for a lot of families, education is beyond their reach. So our church partners in Haiti provide school um, to families in the local community who may not otherwise be able to afford it. So that equates to about 3,000 kids in Haiti. Another one of, of Haiti's kind of quirky laws is every child attending school must wear a school uniform in order to attend school. It's a $20 uniform. For families who live off of sometimes less than a dollar or two a day, a $20 school uniform is sometimes an insurmountable financial obstacle to going to school, especially if you have five or seven or ten kids. So we have an annual need for 3,000 uniforms in Haiti. That's, that's issue number one. Issue number two was we decided that we wanted to start our own apparel company in Haiti. So we did, and we called it the Go Exchange. And in Haiti, it operates under the legal title Life S.A., Life, because it's a life-giving business, and S.A. is a legal designation, kind of like Inc. or LLC. So um, we wanted to create a business that could manufacture products both for um, apparel companies globally and for ourselves that we could sell through our company here in the United States called the Go Exchange. So we had a need for 3,000 uniforms, and we also had a need for skilled labor. So we saw this as a great opportunity to create a school that would train former orphans with real-life skills for potential employment at Life SA. So that's what we did. At Pathways, the sewing program is two years. The first year, as you just saw, 
Um, these kids learn sewing on pedal-operated sewing machines, the kind that my grandma grew up, you know, using. Um, they do that for a year, learning the basics of sewing. Year two, they transition into our Pathway Sewing Center, where they work on industrial-grade professional machinery, and they learn an, an entire myriad of skills, everything uh, that you would need to gain employment in the apparel sector in Haiti. So from how to create a buttonhole to hemming straight to cutting fabric, um, they learn the entire skill set while they're fulfilling the 3,000-unit uh, uniform order that we have annually. So they're learning in a professional environment, and we treat them as though they were coming to work every day. They've got to come and clock in, and they've got to work, and they've got to report to their bosses, and they've got to learn skills. So it's kind of a step between school and the real world, right? It's a place where they can make mistakes, and, and they're not putting their job in jeopardy, um, but they're learning real-life skills. So... Um, this has largely been a great success in Haiti. Um, this past August, we just celebrated our first graduating class of Pathways. And of the 17 graduates, 14 of them have already found jobs either at Life SA or elsewhere in the apparel industry. So this has largely become the most employable trade that we offer at, at Pathways. And it's great. But it being such a practical, hands-on trade, right? 80% of the time is spent at a sewing machine or, or learning the ins and outs of, um, of the apparel industry. Um, it's not cheap. We, we've got a bunch of sewing machines that we have to maintain, and we've got electric bills and so forth. So what we are asking churches to do in the United States is to support the Pathways program. Either support it through sponsoring kids or buy school uniforms. When you buy a school uniform for $20, you not only send a child to school who may not otherwise have been able to afford to go to school, but you also are funding the operational overhead of the Pathway Sewing Center and training kids who can go on and, and uh, find jobs in, in the apparel sector. Um, so that's, that's it. I think, I think I'm within time, which is amazing. Uh, so before I sign off, I'd like to leave you with um, another video of a former Pathway student who has graduated and gotten a job at Life SA, and we followed up with her recently and just interviewed her and asked her a few questions, and this is what she had to say.
Thank you very much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everything that you're doing, just locally and internationally. And, and you are a tremendous blessing to Go Project, to these kids, and to your community. So thank you, and God bless. I will be here for the rest of the service. If you have any questions, you can grab me afterwards, and I'd, I'd be more than happy to answer those. So thank you very much. It's a completely different perspective watching that. And... Um, seeing people that are just happy to have jobs. Um, you know, a lot of times we complain about the job we have. <laughs> and um, I love the fact that when that girl was being interviewed, she was still working. There was no like, yeah, I'm going to take 10 minutes and do this American interview and, you know, take a break from work. She's like working away and talking to the camera at the same time. And so um, just uh, practically how this is going to work for us, um, starting next Sunday, we'll have little envelopes on uh, each one of the tables in the four corners back there, we have the different ministries that we're going to be supporting, and each week you'll hear more about those. Um, so there'll be an envelope with that particular ministry on it. If you'd like to make a donation to that ministry in particular, you can put a check in there, you can put cash in there, and just put it in the main offering box behind the sound booth, and then we'll divvy it out and get it to the, the right place. But um, thank you so much, Jake, for, for coming, and uh, Justin is going to share with us this morning. Well, I also you guys know, um, even though we're not even, we're not uh, specifically highlighting this ministry in the back, actually on the Global Orphan table, you'll see um, kind of some brochures and uh, business cards for the ministry Go X. And so as you're kind of making, you know, purchases and planning, you know, what you're going to buy for friends and family, consider that as an option too and just the beautiful products they make because all the proceeds from those purchases are going to be donated to orphan care and orphan prevention as well. So, um, Kind of to get started, I need a little bit of crowd participation on this gloomy day. So is anyone with me this morning? I'm sick, it's dark, it's cold, pets' heads are falling off. I need some help, people. Okay, I need your help. Help me finish some of my sentences here. Okay, good things come to those who... Okay, now those of you that grew up in the super Christian culture of the late 90s, early 2000s, you'll know this one. True love waits. How about this one for you music people? John Mayer keeps on, what, on the world to change? Wait, waits, and waiting. This theme of waiting is very common in our culture. We see it in pop, in pop music, we see it in movies, we hear it from our friends. For those of us here who are guys, we can really relate to it in relation to our spouses, right? And fiancés and girlfriends, country artists, Brad Paisley nailed it in his song, Waiting on a Woman. <laughs> he sings, sitting on a bench at West Town Mall, he sat down in his overalls and asked me, are you waiting on a woman? I nodded, yeah. and said, how about you? He said, son, since 1952, I've been waiting on a woman. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Some of you being bashful because your lady's sitting next to you. Here's another example of how this issue of waiting or not waiting can play out in our everyday lives. Let's watch this short video clip here. Any way we can eat and make this movie. Well, let's just order it to go. We'll eat it in the cab. Eat it in the cab? Chinese food in a cab? We'll eat it in the movie. Well, where do you think you're going? Do you think that they have big picnic tables there? <laughs> well, what do you suggest? Or 
Elaine wanted her food, right? She wanted it now. She wanted to go to Skyburger and scarf something down quick. She wanted her food immediately. Uh, during this season of Advent, we're going to have a little bit of a different sermon theme um, each Sunday. We're going to be kind of primarily using uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Advent book titled, God is in the Manger. And so we're going to begin our Advent discussion today examining this issue and this theme of waiting. And Christians have celebrated Advent for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're part of a rich history of kind of receiving and passing on our faith uh, to the next generation. And it's important to understand that for the ancient Israelites, the first Advent was a time of long, intense waiting. They waited hundreds and hundreds of years for the birth um, of their Messiah, their Savior and Deliverer. So go ahead and get your Bibles out if you got one. We're going to look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. It should be page 479 if you're using a pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. And these are prophecies um, of Jesus that were made long before he was ever born. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now skip over to page 481 to Isaiah chapter 11. This is another prophecy of Jesus. We're going to start, excuse me, in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Now what's difficult for us to wrap our minds around is that the prophet Isaiah lived about 800 years before the birth of Christ. So these prophecies were written definitely seven to 800 years before Christ was born. So let's do a quick recap of what these verses specifically say would be true about the Messiah up here on the slides. It says the government would be on his shoulders. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his peace. He will reign on King David's throne, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And the Spirit of the Lord would rest on him, full of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, and knowledge. Now that is a description of a guy that I would say is worth waiting for, right? Of a guy that's worth putting one's hope in. And God's chosen people, even though this was just written about 800 years, there are actually prophecies about 2,000 years before the birth of Christ describing what this Messiah would be like. And they waited a long time for this scripture to be fulfilled. 
And not, you know, not all of them accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they waited. And one generation passed, and then another generation passed, and then another. And they continued to wait for the Messiah. So the Jews knew a lot about the practice of waiting. And if you fast forward about 2,800 years, you have all of us here today from the timing of just the writing of this passage. And if you're anything like me, waiting is not one of your strong points. Here's a few examples and ways this can, just our inability to wait can flesh itself out in our everyday life. When we are struggling and ask God for help, we don't understand why he doesn't fix the problem that day, that week, or that month. So, because we want answers and we want direction immediately. When people are suffering, we just want them to start acting normal again as quickly as possible because we don't want to go through the slow process of waiting for them to heal because of what it demands of our time and our energy. If there's someone we're investing in to be more like Christ, we can often become frustrated with them through the slow process of helping them grow into spiritual maturity. And when we're aware of the suffering around us, it's often a lot easier for us to write a check or drop off a donation as a quick and easy fix, as opposed to going through the slow process of building relationships with the recipients of our gifts. A couple weeks ago, um, my wife Sarah and I made a trip to Home Depot. Um, I was looking to purchase a few um, uh, strike plates. Anybody even have a clue what a strike plate is? One person. I got a picture of it because I figured you wouldn't know what it was. It's a little thing on your door that your door connects into on the side. I needed a bronze strike plate. Okay, we had some old gold janky ones from like the 1970s and they had to go. So I went to Home Depot and I kind of went through the area where I knew doors would be sold. And I spent about 15 minutes looking for this darn strike plate. That was br- it had to be bronze. So after about 15 minutes, I had no luck and immediately the frustration started to rise a little bit. I wanted my strike plate. And it had to be bronze, and I wanted it now. After no luck, about 15, 20 minutes, I flagged down a sales associate, very sweet lady, um, and I told her what I needed. She's like, yeah, you know, I think I know where that is. So she took me down the aisle that I already spent about 10 minutes in. After what felt like looking through every item on the shelf, she, we finally found some strike plates in this hidden little area, but there was one problem. They had about 100 chrome plates, and they had about 100 gold plates, but no bronze plates. And my frustration started to rise a little bit more. And she could sense that I was frustrated. And she said, well, sir, let me kind of get my tablet out and I'll look up our inventory. I was like, okay. So I waited about another five minutes for her to look up the inventory, just for her to tell me, I'm sorry, sir, we don't even carry those in stock. <laughs> I just looked at her and said, okay, thanks for your time. Stormed off, and as my wife and I were walking down the aisle, knowing the woman was behind me, I was pointing at all the bronze doorknobs saying, how stupid is it that they don't even sell bronze strike plates? This is so stupid. And we got in our car, and Sarah goes, my wife goes, you were so rude to that woman. And I was like, no, I wasn't. That's just stupid. They don't have bronze strike plates. She goes, you were really rude. And I'm like, no, I tried to downplay it. So I went back into Home Depot two days later to get something else, and I was, as I was checking out, Jake's laughing because he works there, as I was, as I was checking out kind of at the register there, that same sales associate was lingering, talking to her friend, and the second she laid eyes on me, eyes on me, she slowly walked away and got as far away from me as she possibly could, 
And I felt like such a jerk. Literally, I was thinking, dude, you are a pastor. You're making a fool of yourself in public, and you have sales associates that are afraid to even talk with you. How embarrassing. And as I reflect back on that event, as stupid as it was, I realize that my inability to wait and be patient was because of my selfish and demanding spirit. Right? Anybody relate to that? A few of us? Yeah. I'm so used to getting what I want when I want it that when something or someone gets in the way, I just lash out and I start hurting those around me with my words and my actions. Thankfully, I have a wife that calls me out, tells me I'm a jerk, and brings me back to reality. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say about this issue of waiting that we're examining. He said, celebrating Advent means being able to wait. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. Whoever does not know the austere blessedness of waiting, that is, of hopefully doing without, will never experience the full blessing of fulfillment. For the greatest, most profound, tenderest things in the world, we must wait. All right, so since you've heard from me and my inability to wait, I'd like to hear from a few of you if you would be so bold. Why is waiting such a struggle for you personally. Go ahead and keep that up, Scotty, if you can. Um, Bonhoeffer said that waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. So what, so what is typically at the root of your inability to wait on God and others? What's usually the root cause that hinders you from patiently waiting on God and others? The floor is open. Gary. Mm-hmm. Anything else? You, the waiting is, is kind of a void that yeah. you won't really get full of it. Yeah, AT and T makes Gary wait, and he doesn't like it because he can't get stuff done <laughs> while he's waiting. John. Yeah, waiting can be frustrating because we're not in control of the situation. Someone else? Andy. I want what I want when I want it, and I don't care what I have to do to get it. Yeah. It's a personality of self-centeredness. It's my sinful nature. And it's also the first thing that strikes me whenever I get that thought process and I'm stuck in that void. This is what I'm focused on. I can't see anything else. And it causes me a lot of grief. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we want what we want when we want it, right? Anyone else? Yeah, we look for uh, shortcuts to get what we want quickly instead of patiently waiting. Good. Um, in the book Slow Church, authors uh, Chris Smith 
and uh, John Patterson describe just how the homes we live in actually play a huge part in our inability to wait. They write, "Our homes are many altered tempo, sorry, our homes are many altered temples to the gospel of instant gratification. In the kitchen, the microwave gets our food piping hot in minutes. The refrigerator keeps food fresh and ever ready for preparation and consumption. The dishwasher cleans a mountain of dirty dishes with minimal labor. Hot water is available throughout the house on demand. Machines wash and dry our clothes. Flushable toilets immediately dispose of our bodily waste. No more going out to the outhouse in the dead of winter or having to empty the smelly contents of chamber pots. If there is something we want to buy, we order them with just a few clicks of the mouse and they arrive on our doorsteps in a matter of days. And our lifestyle of instant gratification, that's that's just the homes we live in. There's a lot of other factors that play into it. This instant gratification really plays into the way we view and treat those around us. We want others to respond to us quickly. We use others for our convenience. We manipulate others to get what we want. And the list can go on and on and on. And even though waiting can sometimes seem foreign to those of us in our culture, it's pivotal uh, to us and our Christian faith and understanding just the importance of seeing life from God's perspective. Let's look again real quick at the passage um, the Bransfield family um, read to us this morning. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Go ahead and leave that up for a minute, Scotty. Um, Bonhoeffer went on to write, Through all the advents of our life that we celebrate runs the longing for the last advent. When the word will be, See, I am making all things new. The Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is, a season of waiting for the last Advent, for a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of us who are believers, you know, we obviously know of what the book of Revelation and other books speak of, that one day when Christ comes for the second Advent, if you will, that he will restore everything to its original creation, that he will wipe away Every tear from our eyes, right? That there will be no more pain, suffering, death, violence, or persecution. And while we have that future hope to look forward to, we also have the present reality found just in this verse. That if we patiently wait on God, even though it might not be in our perceived way or our perceived timing, He will answer us. He will will be our refuge and our rock and our salvation and that we can trust Him at all times. And if he is for us, who can possibly be against us? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. And as we pray and sing one last song together, I want to challenge you guys to consider what areas of your heart might you need to grow in in your ability to wait on God and his timing. 
Because he waited a long time for some of us to turn our hearts towards him. Will we be people who patiently wait on others through the slow process of healing and transformation? Will we patiently wait and believe that God is enough and that he is more powerful and more wise than anything we could do or come up with on our own? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God of patience. God, we thank you for the patience you have with us. God, and you never, you never leave us. God, you're always there just extending your hand, God, waiting for us to trust you, God, just for what you have and just how you are just calling us, God, to a life of meaning and purpose and joy and abundance, God. Jesus, we pray in just our culture of instant gratifications. We're so used to getting what we want on demand just immediately and instantly, God. God, help us to kind of be countercultural in the way that we treat others, God, that we would be people who are patient through others in their pain and their suffering, not, not people who look for quick fixes, who can just put bandage um, just on wounds, God. But I pray that we would walk with people through their suffering, God, and point them to you, regardless of what that demand might demand of our time and energy. So God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would be honored and glorified just in our hearts today and just through this Advent season as we just prepare and wait to celebrate, God, you're coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we sing one last song.